0: I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast takes place. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and to Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. And welcome to the Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Tony Armstrong, and this podcast is all about celebrating Indigenous art and design in all of its shapes and forms. This podcast also marks the opening of Watamara, NGV's new exhibition. Watamara means many mobs in the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung language and, as the title says, the exhibition showcases the diversity of First Nations art and design with incredible works from emerging and senior artists from all around the country. Like me, you may be wondering, what exactly is Indigenous art? Is it more than traditional dot paintings? And how much has it developed over the years into the contemporary practices of today? Let's find out. Aunty it's so nice to meet you. Um, for the benefit of our audience, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, um, my name is Aunty I am a Wurundjeri Wurrung elder and I'm a very proud Wurundjeri elder.
0: It is such a thrill to be able to talk to you today. This is all around the NGV, particularly Wadamara. Now, can you please tell us how you came up with the name for that ground floor gallery?
1: Well, I was just thinking and talking to my oldest granddaughter, Tyena, and um, we were just thinking how a lot of people come through the gallery of different nations, not just First Peoples, but peoples from all nations across the waters, many peoples. So, yeah, that's where we come up with the name with a little bit of help from my granddaughter.
0: That's That's beautiful Um, and that's something I think that when people do go through, they can learn not just about the art that's on the wall but about the land they're walking on. So Watamara is the name of this gallery. That must make you feel really proud knowing that you'll be sharing your language with everyone who walks through. What feelings do you want people to leave that gallery with and what knowledge when they um, are lucky enough to come through?
1: i just like them to leave knowing that they've learnt uh, First Peoples language, name. I think to breathe in, to inhale, exhale an ancient word is marvellous.
0: Um, Ani Gail, mm? thank you for coming in to have a chat with us. And also um, I'm thrilled um, that you get to see Watamara, an ancient word, um being used in such a modern context for so many people to be able to share um, share in and then get to use and take back to wherever they come from.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Fantastic, thank you. In this episode, I'm joined by Tony Elwood, NGV's director and Miles Russell-Cook, NGV's senior curator to chat about the upcoming exhibition, NGV's ambition for their collection and what NGV are doing to celebrate First Nations art. Tony is a leading figure in the Australian art sector and, under his stewardship since 2012, the NGV has become the most visited gallery in Australia. He's not afraid to test boundaries and, through a series of blockbuster exhibitions, has made the NGV an exciting and accessible part of the community. Miles is the Senior Curator of Australian and First Nations Art at the NGV and is responsible for the NGV's collections of Australian art and First Nations artists globally. Miles is a luck Anglo Australian man with German heritage, who he was born and raised in Nam on Burundi, Woburung country. Tony, Miles, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're talking about Indigenous art today um, and what it can be. Now, I remember it wasn't that long ago when I thought Indigenous art was dot paintings mm. and it came from the Central Desert and it had to have ochre in it. And that was as far as my understanding of it went. Now uh, that is obviously not the case, and that's what we're here to learn about, particularly today, Miles. You're obviously very, very passionate about this. Mm. How do you view Indigenous art, and how do you see see that it's evolved?
2: Uh, thank you. It's a it's a good question, and I think a lot of the time people kind of have their expectations of what Indigenous art looks like, and that's then reinforced their kind of Um, expectations of what Indigenous art should be but the reality is that Indigenous art is art made by Indigenous people and it's as complex and diverse um, as Indigenous people are ourselves. When you sort of said dot painting or art working with ochres or natural pigments like certainly that is a huge part of Indigenous art from many communities around the country but The reality is now, I mean, we've got artists working in neon, artists working in sound, performance. We've got artists working in photography, artists working in every medium that you can imagine, really. I mean, right through to AI and digital media and it's constantly evolving. And I think the thing that makes Indigenous art so special is that it reflects 65,000 years' worth of art making in this country uh, but it does that in the same way that Aboriginal people do today, which is, you know, we can be both ancient and incredibly modern at the same time.
0: Yeah, I think um, that's something I want to ask you about, Tone. Um, we, are, we are so diverse as Aboriginal people um, and uh, I guess, as Miles has just said, Indigenous art does now absolutely reflect that. From I guess that managerial position within the NGV, how have you seen the decision making evolve around bringing in or, or or even I guess considering different forms of indigeneity within art?
3: That's also a very good question because the gallery started in 1984 as a collecting institution for Indigenous art, and that was a brief at the time that was national from it from its inception. But I suppose in building a new collection at that time, it started in certain regional clusters. So there was a very heavy emphasis on a lot of the remote and rural artists. So that a lot of the art that you're referring to was where we started to collect in depth over a long period of time. So you know we saw a lot of great holdings put together at that time from Central Desert, Arnhem Land, the Kimberley, for example. But it was still a focus around the national. Over time, we've made sure that that continued and that where we saw weak spots, so In more recent times, say, under miles, we've looked at Far North Queensland, the Torres Strait. We've looked at the southeast corner, looking at Koori culture and what we were doing there, what we needed to do more of. So I suppose our responsibility is to make sure that that national overview is maintained and is built upon at all times so that people come in for the first time and they see a dedicated Indigenous gallery and they walk away going, wow, Mm -hmm. I had no idea that Mm -hmm. across this period of time it was so diverse, it was so rich, it's still so dynamic – there's another thing that we can also do to sort of help amplify that and that is the gallery with with more courage and investment saying and we do this let's commission things too and let's help artists get to a space that they've never been to before so if we put you know some serious investment behind a community or an individual and say now do something that really tells your story in Mm. a big Mm. and dramatic way that gets a lot of national interest that commands the attention of an entire audience and the other thing I think that's important is to not just indigenous art in its own little box is to make sure that indigenous art has a presence across the building across now both of our buildings and soon to be three buildings Mm -hmm. so that we also talk about first nations in a broader global context and that we say that these are also first and foremost just great artists when you're walking into an art gallery Mm. but they all have an important backstory and cultural history that has to be reflected and i think that's like that's so key for us here because
2: Indigenous art is the only art unique to this continent. Like when people talk about the history of Australian art, they're talking about the emergence of European art Mm -hmm. in Australia. In an Australian context with a European lens, yeah. Exactly. Like it's horizon line after horizon line and it's a very distinct European way of viewing being on country. When we look at Indigenous art and particularly with reference to artists who have developed over kind of thousands and thousands of years these sophisticated iconographies that are ways of of talking about their experience being in and of and from country, we get an utterly unique art form, something that nowhere else has. And so I think to Tony's point about indigenous art being visible. Tony Elwood's yeah. Tony point. oh sorry, yeah, there's two Tony. <laughs> it's yeah. about having Indigenous art across all three of our venues because it's the only art unique to this continent. And it's also the the art form that more than anything else
0: we get asked about, particularly by international visitors. They want to see Indigenous art. I think, um, again, another misconception is this idea of being on country and we spoke about it um, kind of around the edges just, just then, talking about where you go to collect your art and, and what you might consider being on country – Um, We're on country right now and we're in in the middle of Melbourne. Mm. Um, uh, I guess how do you then bleed that through
2: a gallery? Mm. Well, I think that's the point is wherever you are in Australia, you're on Aboriginal land and you're on country and whether beneath you there is carpet and concrete and bitumen and steel and kind of vast networks of pipes and cables, you are always on Aboriginal land. And so... What we try and do within our, I guess, the way that we present uh, our our spaces is first and foremost make that acknowledgement. Um, and within that acknowledgement, you're talking about, I think, like, often like the issue that you've kind of touched on is that there is still this, um, this uh, kind of like resistance to acknowledge that Aboriginal people can exist with modernity. Um, because there's this idea that you're only an authentic Aboriginal person if you are living out on country and you're living, um, you know, on ancestral lands and in in a classical or traditional way. And I think that that's fundamentally a really racist way of framing Aboriginality because it suggests that we're locked in ancient antiquity or that we can't somehow participate in modernity. And so I think to your point what we try and do is reflect the diversity, the breadth and the extraordinary innovations Mm. that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists have Um, and and to that what it means
3: to be walking on Aboriginal land. I think that's also why, you know, in the last few years we've put a heavy emphasis on contemporary art from Indigenous people. So that people come in and do see massive neon installations and and big sort of contemporary forms of practice that just sort of get people to shift their thinking and awareness that the urban Indigenous space is also as valid and needs to be sitting alongside rural and remote communities. But the other thing we've also done, I think, very well in recent times is we've gone out to those rural communities and said, like with the Fish Fence Commission, Mm, for example, mm. from Western Arnhem Land, we've gone to communities and said, what can we do to really shift the scale and the ambition of what you have been doing traditionally to take that to a new level as well. So it's it's trying to sort of look at all the best opportunities to sort of change stereotypes and to be good storytellers because ultimately that's what galleries are there to do, to tell stories, to shift people's perceptions and to inform them more than they have been. Mm,
0: yeah, and I suppose as well um, a challenge then becomes how to integrate all of that into a gallery that <laughs> is bringing works from all around the mm. world. Um, how, I guess, two-part question... Tony, you first, then Miles. You follow up. Um, how do you, how do you, I guess, find the balance with the integration to make sure that it's really respectful and doesn't kind of seem on the nose? Because you know mm. when you can go someplace and it feels like, oh, here we are. We're just walking through this front door and. Uh, that's that's a box ticked and it's not done properly. Mm-hmm. How do you find that, that, yeah. that balance piece?
3: Yeah, and it's a really good perception that you're raising because I think there are times it can feel a little bit forced, a little bit artificial. We've been having conversations about the international building here, which is predominantly European heavy and classical art. How do we actually remind visitors when they're coming here? Say you've just visited from outside of Australia – that when you're walking through Dutch galleries, that there was actually, you know, an occupied country here. At the time, there was Indigenous trade. We're starting to work out ways in which we can sort of make this a unique story and interpretation of those styles of collections here and just a constant sort of reinforcement that this isn't just trying to mimic what's happened in the other side of the world. This is unique. This collection was, was... you know, the development of a shorter history, but there's another history that needs to start to meaningfully emerge. And one of the things that we've talked about with Miles is this idea of where we've got maintenance of tradition over long periods of time, we can legitimately put a contemporary work in a 17th or 18th century room Mm -hmm. because we know it's also a reminder that this material, while it only was made a year ago, actually was handed down over a long history of sophisticated communication Mm -hmm. and it's a reminder that while we're looking at that particular oil painting – on this country, we were also making this type of material.
0: Mm.
3: Yeah. That's more meaningful to me than doing something that is deliberately disruptive or just feels a little bit too token.
2: Well, because
3: it's timeless as well. I think that's it. It's looking at
2: art that has been passed down for 65,000 years, cultural practices that, you know, go back to 3,000 generations of mothers to daughters and fathers to sons and, and so on. And it doesn't really matter if this headdress from Raman Ginning was made in 1980, it looks the same as if it was made in 1880 or 1780 or 1680. A time machine, really, isn't it? And so I think when we kind of lean into that, we free ourselves from the shackles of this um, expectation that when you're going to tell a chronological history of art, it has to be literally chronological. Like you can say, for most First Nations people, time is cyclical in so many ways and... I think that that's been really liberating
0: for us, particularly with how we address our, our permanent collections. And um, speaking of, uh, we've got something very exciting um, coming up, not mm. too far away from when this mm. podcast is being recorded right now. Talk to us about how excited you are for Watamara and for everyone else to see it, but also not just how excited you are, how significant you think it can be in addressing a lot of the things that we've just spoken about, which is ultimately, I think, miss a lot of misconception Mm -hmm. and a lot of misinformation. So first of all, Watermara, which is the
2: new dedicated First Nations gallery at NGV Australia on the ground floor. It's a new permanent space and an extraordinary way to share indigenous art with our audiences. People talk about, Things like how can institutions, how can museums decolonize our thinking? How can we indigenize our thinking? And there's this kind of constant um, thinking around what we can do to shift the way we work. Well, to me, it's kind of simple. Decolonization means giving up power, and giving up power means making space. And in this instance, it's both literal space. <laughs> yeah in terms of we're dedicating a permanent gallery on the ground floor, a large gallery to this, but it's also um, about giving up space to the decision making and bringing more people to the table. I use the metaphor of bringing people to the table. It's not the best metaphor because you know part of me also thinks let's just get rid of the table yeah. you know, as, <laughs> as a concept, but it's about bringing more people in and having you know, in the past it used to be that Indigenous art was very much presented through in this framework of we have an expert on Indigenous art. I mean, the experts on Indigenous art are the communities and the people who are producing it and the artists who are producing it. It's our job to just make room. Mm.
0: And I guess you spoke about tokenism earlier, Tony, Um Something that strikes me is the antithesis of to- of tokenism is putting something somewhere permanently and permanently giving that sp- giving that space away, I'm doing air quotes, um, which goes to what Miles is saying about power and decolonisation. Um, you must be very, very proud, but also from your perspective, how important is that?
3: It's vital, and I think the key to this is that it's meaningful and that it's respectful. I suppose at the moment I wouldn't say – I'm proud of the direction we're going. I just know we haven't gone far enough yet. Mm, yeah. I think we're shifting into very new territory. I haven't seen it really done very successfully anywhere in the world where we've actually sort of blended the broader collections. And for, for want of a better term, they've used the term encyclopedic, but of course we're not because there's lots of places that we don't represent. But we are the oldest and biggest collection in the Southern Hemisphere, and those collections do need to be rethought. Mm -hmm. and refocused and reminded of their presence and their context here. And we've had some good discussions around how we can do that, not only just through even First Nations art, but even some of the the maps that were produced at the time, Mm -hmm. the World Globes that were produced at the time, just as a reminder to everyone as they're walking through these chronological European histories that actually this is where Australia was actually being Mm -hmm. refocused, represented, misinformed. Uh, And it's just a way of just constantly putting that Reminder to everyone that there is something unique about coming into this country and presenting this type of practice to, our broad, to a contemporary audience. And mm. a contemporary audience too is starting to increasingly be aware and demand that of us. And so it's also being responsive to that and also particularly respectful to any First Nations visitor that walks through. Mm. Yeah. I mean
0: I know what it's like um, as a black fellow walking into some places where you just, you just instantly feel off. Right, you just because you to your to your point, then you you know that the space hasn't given any consideration to it. Um, what can you expect when you? What can what can a what can a visitor expect walking through?
2: Well, I think
0: um, we like to to Tony Elwood's point.
2: We um, you know we have a history of being the big blue stone citadel of conservatism and the kind of the the pillar to a lot of. Aboriginal people, that was very oppressive and very intimidating. And what we want to do is we want to shift that experience so it feels welcome and it feels owned. Um, The reframing of our thinking around the Australian art collection and the Indigenous art collection really comes from the fact that up until about six, 12 months ago, it was impossible to be an Aboriginal person and to be acquired into the Australian art collection. Because we had an Indigenous art collection, we had an Australian art collection. And so how does that work when you're trying to tell a holistic singular story of history? Mm. What we're doing now is we're trying to shift that because we used to kind of think of Indigenous art or it used to be thought that Indigenous art was this kind of chapter within the textbook on Australian art (laughs) when the reality is Australian art is a footnote in a 65,000 year history and while it's an incredibly important 250 years where an extraordinary amount of change has taken place and incredible art has come forward, it still sits within a much bigger, much longer history. So from now when you enter into our permanent collection galleries you really won't be able to enter a room and not see some Indigenous art on display. We've completely moved the um, arrival of Cook as the kind of beginning of the gallery, and for a very long time, our first rooms in the colonial galleries always began with the arrival of the British. Our first rooms in the collection now look at uh, entirely Indigenous um, art in the first gallery. The second gallery, we're looking at French and Dutch and Macassan exploration, and you really don't even kind of get to Cook until about three rooms in, which it might seem like a, a, a small thing, but that's a huge shift for us because mm. it's trying to reframe people's idea that, you know, you'd, you could have been forgiven in the past for walking into some of these spaces and just thinking that Aboriginal people sat around for 65,000 years waiting to be discovered, not doing anything. When, of course, that's complete rubbish. They were active and intrepid explorers crossing oceans, travelling to Sulawesi, modern-day Indonesia, Torres Strait Islanders who were travelling, you know, 700 kilometres on canoe in and out of Papua New Guinea. Like extraordinary maritime
3: exploration history. So we want to reframe that. That's really key. And producing great art during that Totally. It just happened to be transient. It would be body marking or land-based or or whatever. But but it was still being produced. Absolutely. Um, One thing that's just
0: got me thinking now, it's kind of, funny when you said uh, the indigenous art being just the chapter where ironically like a lot of the materials used in those 250 years were indigenous materials yep. <laughs> used from Australia so in a way subversively yep. we yeah. got them <laughs> <laughs> um you spoke Tony about um I guess being proud of the direction um not necessarily of where of where you are yet what's that commitment then to to continue going
3: forward and continue pushing um, because you can sense the goodwill, that's for sure. Mm, Yeah, it's it's a massive commitment. It's heartfelt by the whole organisation. I think once the shift of thinking started to occur, based on both curatorial thinking but also just, I suppose, a whole of institutional commitment to reframing history, everyone started to sort of say the penny's dropped. You know, why don't we have uh, material that talks about, you know, mapping the country at a certain time? Why don't we have world globes that talk about the misinformation of this part of the world Uh, Why haven't we thought about certain materials that are already in the collection that talk about a a transition of time and that that faithfully belong in other contexts as well? Uh, The collection does support that to a degree, but we need to have judicious collecting over the next decade to Mm. make sure that we amplify that more Mm. correctly and do that as respectfully as possible, and that's definitely the commitment we're making. And it's reflected now even through things like collection policies and so on to make sure that there is an annual check that is a, a maintenance of of ideas and, and of objects that will help do that. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you can
0: sometimes get lost in goodwill, but then when you actually don't have systems in place that hold yourselves to account, right. stuff stuff can slip through the gaps. Um, what do you want people to to leave feeling from an indigenous perspective? What how do how do you, how do you want them to feel, and what do you want them to think after they leave Waramara?
2: Um. I would hope that when anyone, whether you're a First Nations person, whether you're Australian, Indigenous person, whether you're a visitor from somewhere else, whether you're a settler, refugee, whoever you are, anyone who comes into that show, I would want them to feel inspired. I would want them to feel challenged. I would want them to be reminded that Indigenous art is complex and diverse and the breadth um, ..of practice is is extraordinary. I would want people to leave this space remembering or realising... ..that there's no such thing as pan-Aboriginal Australia. There's over 250 distinct language groups, nearly 800 dialects. We're as diverse as Europe and... Mm-hmm. Um, I would want people to have that shift that, you know, there's no such thing as homogenous Indigenous art. It's not, you know, somewhat pejorative term, but it's not dot painting. Um, So to be challenged in that way, but also to be inspired. I think that art is often a soft entry for people to have very tough conversations. And in this instance, all of the artists, I mean, it's unbelievably generous to consider the fact that we've got a history of being missionized and dispossessed Mm. and having our land stolen and our children stolen to be able to still make art with the gesture of sharing culture and sharing history and bringing people to the table for a conversation when really I don't think many artists owe it to anybody I think it's unbelievably generous and I think it's a really powerful that would be the message I would want people to take away from this.
3: And I would support that fully. I mean, it's then how we interpret that is sort of vital. So the labels that we attach to those works, the public programs that we offer, you know, the additional ancillary material all the time, whether it's a film program or a range of talks or a celebration of NADOC done through a fine art lens, all of those things have to be constantly reviewed and updated and relevant. Watermara mm. is opening from October 2023
2: and you'll be able to come in and see art from the Tiwi Islands, art from the Kimberley, art from across Arnhem Land. We've got extraordinary fish traps from Maningrida. We've got art, art from Nooker and from the southeast, uh, um, Tennant Creek. It's It really is about highlighting the extraordinary collection and the extraordinary diversity of different regions. Watermara um, means many mobs um, in the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung language and it's the name that was gifted to us by Annie Gale. So I hope that this show really does reflect that as a principle, that this is about bringing together many mobs. And across the road at NGV International from December this year, we're opening our third triennial, which is another extraordinary place to see contemporary Indigenous art from Australia. We've got some immense commissions, including... Well, I would say the largest ever weaving commission produced in Australia from Manning Greta, as well as many other really important artists. So that's from December at NGVI.
0: And I think the good thing about um, this conversation we're having right now is this is evergreen. So yeah. if anyone's listening to this, whenever they listen to it, yeah. they can get down to wadamara and have a look and experience exactly what yeah. both of you have just explained. And there will continue to be new artists old artists all types of artists go through there miles tony thank you so much that was um brilliant i actually feel like i can sit around a coffee table somewhere in north Fitzgerald and people listen to me talk about art now <laughs> well thank you for having us cheers <laughs> thanks thanks for joining me today to learn more about indigenous art in the next episode i'll be chatting to the incredible destiny deacon Make sure that you get down to the Ian Potter Centre, NGV Australia to see the Watamurra Exhibition and the NGV's permanent collection of Australian and Indigenous art and design. The exhibition and the collection are completely free and open all year round. See you there!